Hello? Hi. <laughs> so again, today's reading is from John 21, verses 1 through 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee, and revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, about 100 yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Let me just pray for us before you take your seats. Um, Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you are a generous giver and that you love us and you treat us lavishly with your goodness and we ask now that you would like soften the ground of our hearts, that it would become fertile soil for you to sow seeds of righteousness and of hope and of restoration and of joy. May we be changed and transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to share with you today in this capacity and for Morgan embarrassing me and... I'm thankful for my, my friend Jordan, who's, um, who is a part of this community even as he has moved away um, to Virginia, but he's come to lead us in musical worship today. I'm so thankful for him. Um, I also am thankful that my dad came this morning. He's sitting in the front. <laughs> yeah, he kind of surprised me. I didn't, I, I didn't think he would be able to come. So um, I'm thankful for all of you. I'm thankful for the opportunity to share with you. I think our sermon series has been a challenging one, um, but in particular, I think what keeps um, ringing out to me is the fact that Jesus, the Lord of the universe, um, is asking us questions. And, you know, if he's the Lord of the universe, that means he already knows the answers to the questions that he's asking, right? So I can only conclude that the reason why he's asking the questions has to be for the benefit of the person he's asking and for us as the reader, because he knew that we would read it, right? Um, so today we're focusing on the question, do you have any fish? And um, I want to set the scene for us again. So this is Jesus' third appearance to the disciples after being raised to life again, proving that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, who holds all power. 
And um, they're waiting for Jesus in Galilee as he's instructed them to do, which you can find in Matthew. And while they're waiting, Peter decides to go to work and go fishing. And this was his vocation before he went into ministry with Jesus. Remember, um, it's important to note that when Jesus first called Peter and his brother Andrew to join him in ministry, to follow him, they were fishing because they're professional fishermen. So he says, come with me and I'll make you fishers of people. Um, so it, it's interesting that Jesus is now appearing to them after he's resurrected and they're fishing and, you know. We'll, we'll get on to that more later. So um, the other thing to remember is like a lot has happened in the past few weeks, right? Peter denied Jesus three times on his way to the cross, like for his own survival. Jesus told him he would do it. He said, no, Lord, I'll never do it. And he does. And Judas is no longer with them. You know, drama. Lots of stuff has happened. <laughs> okay. Like lots of heartbreak. It's, you know, and so they're in this in-between time, right? And they're waiting um, on the Lord in Galilee, as he said, and they decide to go fishing. This is how they made their money. They're professional fishermen. So they know what they're doing, but they fish all night and they catch nothing. Now, I know that if I'm doing something the right way, and for some illogical reason it's not working, I feel a bit irritated. Especially when my husband comes along and is like, let me see. <laughs> like, what are you gonna do? <laughs> what are you gonna do differently for me? Can you clue me? I know I know how to do this, you know? <laughs> I'm the worst, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, um, and so I think it's strange, or don't you think it's strange, you know, that, that Jesus tells them basically to try again after they've been fishing all night, tells them to cast their net on the right side. And some commentators say that uh, they would, men would, or would fish on the left side of the boat, and so Jesus cast their net on the right side. Not really sure that matters. The point is that he tells them, do it again, um, and that you'll catch them. But, you know, they fished all night, and they've come up with nothing. And how disappointing is it to work hard and yield nothing? Your best efforts failed. Where's God. If I can't predict a sure outcome, I'm often unwilling to try because I'm unwilling to fail. I'm afraid of failure. If I can't check the boxes, I lose hope. I can't find joy. I'm irritated. I'm anxious. I'm angry. And I assign myself identity through getting things done well. That's what I do, right? And this means, <laughs> this means that I am the author of my success. When my daughter Samantha decided to move her arrival date up six weeks early, she better be on time for everything in her life. <laughs> or early, I was, I was really scared. I was emotional, and I was all of the feelings in the hospital for obvious reasons, but one of them being was like, Lord, you didn't allow me to set up the team and the staff well. You know, like, you just plunged us into this, and like, I had everything set right. I was this close. I was gonna step down May 1. My due date was May 21, three weeks in advance. I got this. Like, I'm, I'm training people. I'm, you know, doing the thing, and I'm like, everything's gonna be fine by May 1. Nope. You know, water breaks on, um, on April 8th. And I'm just like, Lord, you know, how could you do this to me? To the church. And then I say, this is your church. <laughs> and then I heard what I said. It is his church. You guys don't belong to me. You belong to the Lord. So when I realized, who, or I remembered who God is in that moment, I laughed. You know? And when the disciples can barely pull in their net because the catch is so plentiful, they realize the Lord is here. So how do we remember that God cares and that he's with us even in our failure? How do we have confidence that he's with us whether we're coming up short or we come up with a full basket? So from this text, I just want to kind of outline, I think, two major themes that we can use to answer these questions. And the first is, is our work matters to God. 
If we look at verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee, and he revealed himself in this way. He chose to reveal himself to them at work. He shows up. At first, they don't know it's him because he's kind of obscure in the distance, but he's there. And I personally find comfort in knowing that whether or not I am aware of God's presence, he is there. It's some of the best news because I know that I'm prone to forgetfulness. But here Jesus is in all of his glory and he's arrived at daybreak. And I, I don't want to like skip over that detail because in my study time, I remembered um, the words of Hosea chapter 6 where it says, let's draw near to the Lord. As surely as the sun rises, he will come to us. The sun always rises. I think that's my daughter. I don't know. <laughs> the sun always rises. Jesus is always present with us and he reveals himself to us. Since the sun rises every day without fail, we may not even notice it. You know, we just kind of like get up, right, and do our work and start things. It becomes an, a, an ordinary occurrence. But that's just it. Jesus is present in the ordinary things, even on an ordinary fishing trip. And you know what else? Jesus is revealing himself to them in a moment of frustration. Peter and the disciples are frustrated at work, right? Like they've spent all night with nothing to show for. And this might be a silly question, but like how many times have you been frustrated at work? How can you invite God into that? Can you uh, picture him showing up in the distance and asking you, my child, do you have any fish? How are your numbers this week? That was a rough meeting, wasn't it? Are the kids driving you crazy? You know, just imagine what he would ask you in the moment of frustration at work. And then you answer him, and maybe it's with some sadness and depletion or irritation. I laughed while reading this passage over and over again because I thought about, you know, several flip answers that I might have given but they just say no. And then he said to them, cast it on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said, it is the Lord. I love that the Lord gives them instruction on what to do and once they follow it, they are overwhelmed with blessing and they realize that it's Jesus who's talking to them. He shows up when they're tired, right after they failed, Defeat is in the air, and he comes and he instructs them and he blesses them at work. Our work matters to God. He wants to bless us in our vocation. That was, I love what Greg was doing like while he was up here and the chance that we get you know, to pray for one another in our work and our vocation because God wants to reveal himself through it. I like to think that in that moment that when they realized that Jesus was standing ashore, um, that they recovered their identity by remembering who God is and that he alone is the author of success. I know the word success like in our culture is really loaded because we tend to assign things to it that you know, maybe we shouldn't. But you know, my point is, is that any blessing or favorable outcome that we might get comes from the maker of heaven and earth alone. Jesus says earlier in the Gospel of John, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is when he's talking about, he says, I'm the true vine and we are the branches. Um, I remember talking to someone here at Reality who's in the medical field and um, she had an important test to take um, and undoubtedly, you know, she found herself a bit stressed about it and needing to block off like ample time to study for it. Um, but while she was frantically doing that, she, suddenly, she was suddenly reminded that any triumph that she experiences at work is given to her by God or any triumph that she will experience. And I was really encouraged and moved by her realization. It sounds like elementary maybe to you, but it's not. You know, we're prone to forget that. That's why, like, during times of giving, you know, we'll pray things like, all resources come from you, Lord. But if we're honest, sometimes our work just feels blah, feels stale, or maybe you just don't want to do it, <laughs> you know? 
But Jackie Hill Perry, she tweeted something pretty profound about work. She said, work isn't a consequence of Adam's sin, our disdain of it is. part of the curse. <laughs> so the reason why we have to remember that we are co-laboring with Christ in the story of redemption and that he is the true author is because, believe it or not, you can't do your work alone. And God doesn't, God doesn't need you to work. He earnestly wants to be a part of your work. So whenever you're tempted to believe, if I don't do it, it won't get done, I think you're in trouble. I just, I know about that life because I do it all the time. You know, and then like my dependency on God has just gone out the window and I've shifted into a self-made identity. I think maybe, you know, we should all be able to relate to that. So let's also note that working under Christ's authority applies to all aspects of life, right? Not just work. This record of Jesus meeting his disciples at the Sea of Galilee and blessing them with a miraculous count of fish also applies to them being what he, you know, says to them in the beginning of their journey together, come with me and I'll make you fishers of people. God wants to be a part of every aspect of your life, including your work, and he wants your identity and your value to come from his love, his provision, his goodness. Because when you come up with an empty net and it will happen, how then will you be fulfilled? And who's to say that when you fail, that God is not using that too? And I know that's like not what you wanna hear because it's not what I wanna hear either. Like, you know, I want God to use my, my A plus work. A plus plus, you know? <laughs> so this takes us back to the questions that we asked in the beginning. How do we know that God cares and is with us even in our failure or what we see as failure? Um, you know, how do we know that he's with us, whether we're, you know, coming up empty or coming up shorter with a full basket, if, with our, if it's our A plus work or below average? So we see that like, not only does our work matter to God, we see that it's his joy to provide for his children. When they recognize that Jesus is there, they are so happy. Peter just like jumps right out of the boat and like swims to Jesus. He's like, my man, he's here, you know? And their entire countenance has changed. Jesus has met them like he said he would do in Galilee. I feel most safe and, and loved when people do what they say they're going to do. My husband is a man of his word. He, he, you know, what, he does what he says he's going to do most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and so Jesus has met them in Galilee like he said he would. And he's provided for them in their work. And then it concludes with a joyful breakfast. Verse 9 begins, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went abroad and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. I love breakfast. I make it for dinner sometimes. Uh, if you're cooking me breakfast, we can be friends. Um, and the disciples are his friends. He calls them his brothers. So their connectedness to Jesus brings joy. I think we all know how wonderful it is to sit with people that you love over a meal. You know, like especially if they've cooked and then maybe you brought something too and you guys get to feast together. You know, there's joy at the table. Um, our little family, we had the opportunity to go away this past weekend in Georgia to visit some friends. And there was just so much laughter and like good Southern food. You know, there was a lot of joy at the table. So here's two things that I think like we can kind of recognize about this particular meal. A, Jesus is the creator and provider of all things. He made the fish in the sea that they've caught, 
And even after they've caught the fish by his instruction, he still got fish and bread of his own cooking on the fire when they get ashore. Did you catch that? He's just like, hey, come and have breakfast. Bring some of the fish you brought while well, he's got some too. You know? Um, and so B, Jesus affirms their fishing even though that too had been his provision. So God wants us to bring our work to him that we might share in his joy. And this joy is not dependent on you overworking, overcommitting, making a certain salary, or working without failure. It's a joy that comes from your vocation and or occupation being transformed into a godly mission. It's much bigger than you think. And not only is God joyfully providing for us, he is generous in his provision. The disciples caught 153 large fish. That's a big deal. It's miraculous, no? The thing is, our mission may not be predictable. Remember when I said, like, you know, I'm unlikely to try something if I can't predict a successful outcome? Well, I'm learning that God is not looking at success as my transformation. He's got bigger things in mind. So I may catch nothing. That makes me sad. But he's still going to be there on the shore at the beach saying, come and have breakfast with me. Bring some eggs because he knows how much I love omelets. You know? And he'll say to me, I want to sit with you and I want to dine with you because I love you. I made you. I love spending time with you. I want to give you purpose and hope for the mission I've called you to. And you may not be able to see everything clearly now, but soon you'll see what I'm doing in and through you. You are my delight. I hear the Father saying that to you. It's his joy to take care of us. My husband and I, um, we've been in our house uh, August made four years. We love our little house. And when we were going into it to um, buy it, the market was a seller's market and like houses were flying off the market because it was a short inventory because uh, that was after the, that, remember that the, the winter that was awful? The snow was like, everybody had PTSD after that in the springtime. We kept kind of, you know, people were mean on the train and everybody was pushing in because they didn't know if they were going to catch it because the trains were like super delayed. Do you remember? It was, it was awful. So anyway, the houses, there were not as many houses in the market because of that awful winter. And, you know, we were like, the condo that we were in was being sold and we were like frantic and we we're like, what are you going to do? And my husband's like, hey, um, I think we should buy instead of renting. And I was like, you are out of your mind. Like, we're not prepared for that, you know? And so the house that we're in now, when it comes on the market, it's over our budget. And I'm like, what is the point? We're just going to go to this, you know, open house so that you can just get it out of your system. And it was, happened to be an open concept. And I said, nobody gets an open concept home on your first house, man. Put that dream away. <laughs> you know? Um, and so we go there. We go to the open house. And he's, like, talking to the, um, the realtors. And they really like him. And we put in our offer, which was below asking price. And I'm done because at this point, then it so happened that we didn't have to move anymore. So it was like, fine. We'll just keep saving up. Fine. We were the first call back. We were the first call back. They called. It turns out that the previous owners, they cared about who moved into the neighborhood. And they thought we were nice. And, and, and it turns out that the fact that we gave them more time to get their situation together and their new house situated, that that mattered to them. And they could have accepted a, a house, an, a, an offer over asking price, but they didn't. And they said yes to us under asking price. And we're now in the house. And it serves as an Ebenezer to me in my life. You know how we, when we sing, come thou fount, we say, here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. It means, so back in the day, the Israelites would, you know, <laughs> um, 
when the Lord did something miraculous, they would set up, you know, kind of a monument of sorts to say, look at how the Lord was faithful to us. And the house kind of feels that way to me because I was so doubtful. And I just was like, this is not going to happen. And I wasn't even willing to, like, try, right, because I was so afraid. But then the Lord's like, listen, I own everything. I own the cattle on a thousand hills, you know, and I love to bless you. It's not because you're deserving. It's because you're mine. He loves to take care of his children. My daughter, Sammy, is growing up so fast. I'm, I'm just, I'm in awe of her. I love her so much. And she's been spending more time with her grandparents lately. And whenever we say thank you to them, like when they're giving the report of like her day or whatever, they always say, it's our joy. It's our pleasure to take care of her. And I love that because it just makes me feel um, so special. And it also just reminds me that it's Christ's joy to take care of me. Remember Lion King? The 90s Lion King. No, no shade on the new one, but I'm talking about, <laughs> talking about 90s Lion King. You know, when I, remember, when I remember that, it's when we remember that it's Christ's joy to take care of us, you know, it changes our perception. It changes things. It changes, like, how we enter into our work, you know? And so in Lion King, Simba is having a hard time remembering, like, who he is. Um, he's, you know, run away. A lot of has happened. Poor Simba. He's marked by failure. And then Rafiki the baboon has to remind him of who he is. He tells him, I know your father. He's like, no, I'm sorry to tell you this, but he's been dead for some time now. I can't believe I'm going to do this. But, uh, um, so Rafiki responds to him and he says, nope, wrong again. He is alive. <laughs> <laughs> and he tells him to <laughs> and he tells him to follow him and he's gonna he's gonna show him to him. So he takes him to this reflection pool, Simba looks down, and he only sees the reflection, and he says, That's not, you know, my father's not here, that's just my reflection. And he says, No, look harder. He lives in you. And then Mufasa appears in the clouds in all his glory. Um, James Earl Jones is doing the voice. <laughs> so good. You gotta watch it if you have it. And he's got this powerful, conflicting voice. And he says, Simba, you've forgotten me. You have forgotten who you are, and you've so forgotten me. You are my son and the one true king. So, you know, it goes on. But the point is, is that once, it's only then that Simba becomes ready and willing to go back to work and to do his job at Pride Rock. So you could say that Simba's been recommissioned. And that's kind of what's happening here in the text. Many commentators feel that way, especially about Peter in this text, if you read the chapter, John chapter 21 in its entirety. But all of this, you know, him being able to go back, he kind of like joyfully runs off in the distance. He's ready to take on all of the, the pride and the shame, you know, that's at his home. Um, but he's able to do it because his father has appeared to him. He's told him like who he is. Look at how Jesus sets up for his disciples, like sets them up for entering into the mission of Christ, into the mission of the church, to participate in the work of the father. He's appeared to them in a moment of distress, and there's intimacy there. He says children. He calls them children. He uses that language to speak to them. And in his actions, there's food there. Food is important, man. And there's generous, generous provision, and it brings them joy. As the disciples are, you know, experiencing all of this, especially with a catch that they could have only dreamed of, they knew it was the Lord. They knew only God could do this, and they know him. They've walked with him. Once, you know, we've tasted and seen, like, we should know. But we're, we're prone to forget. But God is faithful to forgive us and walk us through that. 
towards the end of this passage in uh, verse 12, it says, now none of the disciples dared ask him, uh, ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And I love that part because in one of their earlier encounters uh, with Jesus after the resurrection, the scriptures say some of them doubted. Um, and I'm so thankful that the Lord is kind and he's patient when we doubt him. But this time, like in this occurrence on the shore, they know that it's Jesus. They don't ask him to prove himself, to show them a sign. They know it's him. So again, like how can we know? How can we know that it's him, that he's present with us, that he's with us in our doubt, our worry, our shame, our defeat? Where are you experiencing frustration and failure? Imagine Jesus inviting you to enjoy his presence and his generous provision. Imagine what it would look like for you to be present with him at work. When you're tempted to look to other loves for your fulfillment and trust in your self-provision. Ask him to strengthen you. Strengthen you to abide in him because apart from him you can do nothing. He is the giver of all good gifts. And he enjoys giving good gifts to his children. So as we prepare to remember the Lord, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection through communion, the Lord's Supper, let's look back at verse 13 because it has some familiar words. It says, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. When we take communion together, oftentimes on Sunday, we'll say, we'll repeat that scripture that says, and the Lord took the bread, he blessed it, and he gave it to them. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When we take communion together, it's to remember that because of Jesus, because of his great sacrifice, we now have permanent access to the Father through his generosity by laying down his life. If you hear last week, um, you know, Al taught on the fact that Jesus took on our shame and our sinfulness, that we might experience relationship with the Father who is pleased to dwell with us, pleased to work alongside of us because of his son's sacrifice. Jesus experienced the ultimate rejection on the cross that we might be always accepted. So now we have a seat at the table. Now when we work, it's not just to eat or to wear or to take care of ourselves, but it's for the joy of his gospel kingdom, which is much bigger than any personal success or failure. It's much bigger than that. So now we come to the table to receive his love, to remember him rejoicing over us with singing, to remember, you know, that he is always present. Even before the disciples recognized him in the distance, maybe there was fog on the sea, who knows? He was there. And when they follow him and when they obey him, when they're operating under the authority of Christ and they cast their net on the right side, they realize it is the Lord and they're blessed. So where can God meet you today when you might have been coming up empty? Where you have worked tirelessly, you've worked so hard, and you're like, Lord, like, where are you? I'm experiencing a lot of moments like that right now in new motherhood and working. You're just like, postpartum life. You know, I'm just like, Lord, where are you sometimes? And my prayers have become very conversational because I just keep saying, Lord, I know you're there. 
I know you're present. Will you reveal yourself to me? Will you remind me of your goodness? Ask him to do that for you today. He is faithful to do it. He is faithful to do it. Let's come now to the table to receive his love and let him rejoice over you with singing. I'll pray for us. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love.